Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Thursday, October 31st. Happy Halloween. And um, I just want to start off with an, with an apology. I, uh, it's been a couple days since the last episode. I finished moving last weekend, and I got to be honest, I just totally crashed. I needed time to recover. I apologize in advance. I know it's, I guess not in advance, it's over now. I just, I just needed to recover. And I'm trying to learn from the past, and I think if I ever move again, next time I'll re- remember, oh yeah, I got to take a break. I got to take a day off. It's just unrealistic to try to move and then not recover and rest for a day afterwards. It just doesn't happen. Um, and I tried to push through, and that made it worse. So I'm just learning from the past, hey, if I ever move again, I need to just accept I'm going to have to lose a day, take a day off, and rest instead of trying to fight through it. It just got worse, and so... Um, I think I'm a little bit overly ambitious sometimes and it causes me to deal with all kinds, you know, just, I just, oh my gosh, uh, moving is way too stressful. I, I I don't recommend anyone doing it, but I love being here. It's, we're in a great spot. I haven't put a banner behind me yet. I know I need to, um, but we're on it. It's coming. I guess it's just me. I'm on it and we're, I'm working on it. I promise. Um, I also want to say today that the Cardinals and 49ers play tonight on Thursday night football. I don't plan on talking about that game at all. Um, this game, this will probably like come out about the time the game is ending or like in the middle of the game. Cause I know when, by the time I edit and get this video posted, it's going to take forever. Um, look, the truth is I don't want to talk about the 49ers until I have time to do a real in-depth evaluation and give a good, I just want to put something good out if I'm going to talk about the 49ers. Cause I think they're one of the better teams in football. Their quarterback is a question. They've played against some average teams. I, I don't know what to make of them yet. I want to give it more time and really do some more evaluation before I speak on the 49ers. Um, yeah, I guess, honestly, that's it. I just, with that, I want to shift gears now and do a film analysis of Baker Mayfield. So far this year, Baker Mayfield, the Cleveland Browns quarterback, uh, has thrown six touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He has 1,690 yards passing, a 57% completion percentage. And it, the, the touchdown-interception ratio is really surprising. Six touchdowns, 12 interceptions. What's going on? He just flipped out on, on a reporter. He, he got really mad. He stormed out of a press conference. Oh, and by the way, I'm sure you know his team is 2-5. They've not been overly successful this year. So what is going on? What does the film say about Baker Mayfield? Now, to start off, you need to have a base of understanding with what the Cleveland Browns are trying to do on offense. Their offense runs through their running back, Nick Chubb. Their goal is to consistently run the ball well, then fake the run and throw the ball downfield. A fake run, by the way, is called a play-action pass. I'm going to refer to play-action pass a lot. A fake run is a play-action pass. Now, many fans have been critical of the play calling, saying that the Browns keep throwing deep instead of running shorter stuff. Those people are right. The Browns repeatedly run play-action, and make it so all of Baker's options are farther downfield. That requires him to hold on to the ball for longer. I don't love the Browns' offensive philosophy. It's not what I would run, but in theory, it can work. The Browns have had some success at times and do find good matchups. When everything is going right, when the running game is working well and Baker has time to throw, then the Browns can move the ball really, really effectively. But here's the fatal flaw of their offense. If your offensive line is bad, you're screwed. And I understand every single team needs a good offensive line. But the Browns make it even harder on themselves because of how long they expect Baker to hold on to the ball in the pocket. A great example is week one against the Titans. The Browns are backed up on their own one-yard line, and they call a longer developing play. Even though the Browns have been struggling with pass protection all game long, They made this call. This is what they were confident running on the one-yard line. The Titans got pressure immediately with just a four-man rush. The right tackle was badly beaten. And all of the Browns receivers had longer developing routes. That means that when Baker was ready and needed to release the ball, none of his receivers were ready and looking for a pass. There was no chance this play would work. When you watch the Browns, almost every single route concept is vertical. That makes the Browns' offensive line an even bigger concern. Baker doesn't have time 
for longer developing plays. What needs to happen is an offensive coaching adjustment needs to be made. The truth is the Browns head coach and offensive play caller Freddie Kitchens isn't doing a good enough job putting his team in a position to succeed. A great example of this is on second and five against the Ravens. The Browns call a play-action pass where only two receivers run routes and they run a max protection. What that means is that everyone basically stays inside the block except for the two receivers that run 10-yard hitch routes for the Browns. They run 10 yards, they stop, and they turn around looking for the ball. This is the weirdest play call ever because the Ravens are running cover one, press man coverage. Those receivers have guys following them wherever they go. This is a bad play call because the last thing you want to do against man coverage is stop. Against man coverage, you want to run away. Use movement routes and run away from the man guarding you. Okay, I'm going to stop everything right now. I know I'm getting into what's going on, the film, the coach, what's, what's happening with the Browns. But I want to be very clear. The Browns are 2-5 and five right now. They have nine games left on their schedule. These are the teams they play. They play the Broncos, the Bills, the Dolphins, the Steelers twice, the Bengals twice. They play the Cardinals and then the Ravens. I believe they're going to win six or seven of those next nine games. They're going to be playing bad teams, a lot of backup quarterbacks. And if they have a lot of success the rest of this year, please do not miss the point. If they win six of their next nine games and have an okay record at the end of the year, it doesn't change the fact that what we've seen on film to begin the year has been really, really bad. The things on film, the habits we've noticed and observed are not good. Don't let that distract you from what the film says. Now, if you've watched Baker at all this season, the Browns' offensive line is bad. They miss assignments. They miss blocks. Baker's constantly got pressure in his face. There's this one egregious, horrible pass protection design I want to talk about. It put the Browns' tight end at number 88, Demetrius Harris, who's not an offensive lineman, by the way. Put him one-on-one, blocking the former number two overall pick, defensive end, Nick Bosa. It was an awful mismatch. That played a part in why Baker threw an interception on this play. Now, granted, it's a great catch by the 49ers corner and great interception by Richard Sherman. And it was a bad, inaccurate pass, but it was partly caused because of poor pass protection. If you watch Baker this year, you will notice he looks a lot less accurate this year than he has in the past. And you're not wrong. He is less accurate this year than he's been before. Baker has done a poor job this season managing pressure in the pocket. You know, going from college to the NFL is really, really hard. You need to be able to identify coverages, set protections, make good decisions, and be accurate while throwing into tiny windows. And then you have to do all of that. And this is why the NFL is the most difficult league in the world to play in. You need to be able to do all of that while people are hitting you and while there's pressure in your face right now, Baker's not doing a good enough job handling pressure in the pocket. At times, Baker has looked panicky this year. His footwork is bad. He doesn't set his feet. He doesn't have a good base. And that bad footwork is causing his accuracy to decline. Baker likes to run around. However, his ability to scramble and extend plays has provided mixed results. There's no clear right or wrong here. Sometimes this scrambling leads to good plays, and sometimes not so good plays. When things go bad, it's usually because he's holding on to the ball too long. He tries to make every play work and doesn't throw the ball away enough to live to see another down. Okay, um, we also need to address the checkdowns. Here's how the Browns' checkdown system works. When the ball is snapped on a pass play, the running back is in charge of helping the offensive line block. If there's work for him to do, the running back will provide support for the offensive line. If there's no one for him to block, then he'll check down, giving Baker an outlet to throw to underneath. The problem is, the Browns' offensive line is so bad that they always need help, meaning Baker regularly doesn't have a check down. Running backs get caught up blocking and aren't an option for Baker to throw to underneath. You know, coaches like the Rams head coach Sean McVay combats this by having shallow outlets underneath built into every single play call. 
So you can blame the offensive line. You can blame the play design. But the truth is Baker Mayfield isn't perfect either. One of the issues he had at the beginning of the season was that he regularly bailed out of the pocket early. However, there has been some progression in this one area. In his more recent games, he's been stepping up to throw the ball downfield more frequently. The 49ers defense actually ran a play with a delayed sixth blitzer. It's a good play design. They'd bring a five-man rush. That would flush Baker outside to escape the pocket. Then they'd bring that sixth guy as a cleanup crew to take care of Baker once he left the pocket. It worked really effectively. Baker has also missed reads quite frequently. He's had a hard time recognizing coverage in the flats. The flats are the area short to the outside of the field. So when a guy is wide open in the flats, it's easy. He'll throw the ball there, no problem. But multiple times, he's had guys open by one step in a tighter window in the flat, looked at it, and not pulled the trigger. Oh, man. Now it's time to talk about Baker's interceptions so far this season. He has 12 of them. We talked about one earlier, but there are still 11 left to cover. A common belief among fans is that a majority of Baker's interceptions were not his fault. That's simply not true. There are three of Baker's interceptions, however, where I give him no fault. One was a great play by a defensive end stealing an attempted fly sweep. Hey, credit the defense. That's a great play. Another simply bounced off one of his receiver's hands. That is not Baker's fault at all. And another one was on a fourth and four at the end of the Rams game. It's hard to blame a quarterback for trying to make a play and keep his team alive at the end. But the rest were all his fault. I understand three of them, hey, blame someone else. But Baker needs to take some blame for the other nine interceptions he's thrown this year. Week one against the Titans, he had three interceptions. The first one was on a bad, inaccurate late throw behind Odell Beckham Jr. Number two was on a late throw to the flat. It's a bad throw. It's too far inside. And Jarvis Landry wasn't open anyway. And number three, he threw a bad throw high and behind Jarvis Landry. And that one was returned for a touchdown. A pick six. That's Baker's fault. Against the Jets, he threw a pass behind OBJ. OBJ tries to catch it. It's tipped up in the air and intercepted. This is a 50-50 one. It's partly on OBJ. That's a tough catch, but you expect an elite receiver to make that play. However, it's partly on Baker. That's an inaccurate throw behind your receiver. Now against the Ravens, he forced the throw into coverage. It's an RPO, and he has two things to read here. One is the backside inside linebacker, and two is the leverage of the corner. Both reads tell him he needs to hand the ball off, and yet he throws it anyway. You know, first, his primary read, the backside inside linebacker, drops into coverage. That's an automatic give. Give the ball to the running back. Let him do his thing. But second, the corner's inside leverage, ready to take away a slant on the inside. Baker should hand this ball off and live to see another day, and instead he throws an interception because he makes a poor decision. How about against the Seahawks? He had three interceptions in that game. On the first one, the Browns ran a rub concept where basically one receiver sets a screen for the other. So on a rub concept, two receivers pass each other. One goes underneath the other. The guy on top tries to get big and slow and kind of get in the way of the defenders, while the other guy goes underneath trying to get open. For whatever reason, Baker throws to the wrong guy here. The Browns are trying to get the ball and set a pick for the guy running outside. And Baker threw inside to the guy who wasn't trying to get open and was setting a pick so a guy could slip underneath and get open in the flat. Now on his second interception of the day, he threw behind Jarvis Landry and allowed a defender to make a play. Another interception, that's on Baker. However, I will admit his third interception against the Seattle Seahawks is 50-50. It bounced off his receiver's hands. It's kind of a judgment call up to you. I think if it touches a receiver's hands, the guy should catch it. But it also was an inaccurate throw behind his receiver. So this one is partly on Baker and partly on the receiver. I mean, so you look at the film and you go, okay, nine of his 12 interceptions Baker played a part in. You can't just blame it all on everybody else. Baker needs to own his mistakes on these plays. I have two final notes. Number one is that part of the reason why the Browns got blown out by the Titans week one was because of penalties. 
Browns had 18 penalties and gave up 182 yards in that game. That means the Browns offense faced third and 13 twice. They also saw a third and 18, third and 28, third and 16, third and 10, and a third and 26. That is a really hard group of scenarios to succeed in. Now, the second note is about Odell Beckham Jr. He's been disappointing this year, and there's really no other way to describe it. He's known as an elite receiver. And let me tell you, the guy has a couple incredible plays this season. We know that the best from OBJ is incredible. 89-yard touchdown catches. The problem is we rarely see him at his best. We just don't see it very often. He has dropped a lot of passes, and I mean a lot of passes. Throws that hit him in the hands. I can't overstate it. Drop after drop after drop. Even perfect throws from Baker and still nothing. For whatever reason, him and Baker have not been able to get on the same page this year consistently. It's sad, and it's kind of frustrating to watch. There's a guy who's not a Browns fan, but I wanted this to be interesting. I wanted Baker and OBJ to be some kind of fiery matchup that would be fun to watch. So those are all the reasons Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns have struggled on offense this year. Poor play design, a bad offensive line, bad footwork, which leads to inaccurate throws, bad decisions and missed reads, and a supposedly elite receiver that only shows up part of the time. That is what the film says about Baker Mayfield. Okay, uh, before we take a short break, I want to just encourage everyone, if you're struggling, please go get help. This is the most important topic of the entire show. I do it once an episode. If you're, not, if you're not familiar, three years ago, my younger brother took his life. It was awful. It was miserable. It's the hardest thing I've ever been through. And uh, it's just heartbreaking, man. It just was awful. And I learned two really painful lessons through that experience. Number one is that my brother never shared his struggle. My brother never talked about his problems. He never told anybody. I, one day I walked into my house, found him dead on the floor. I had no idea. I guess it was my dad's house. I didn't live there. But the point is I went, I went to my dad's house and he was just dead on the floor. I had no idea it was coming. We never talked about it. He never shared his pain. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. I'm begging you, please. If you're having a hard time, reach out to somebody and go get help. Don't suffer in silence the way my brother did. Uh, just please go get help. The other harsh reality, though, of my brother's death is that I could have done a better job making it clear to him, hey, I'm here for you. He didn't come talk to me. I also didn't seek him out. We always had surface-level conversations about football and video games, and we never really got a lot more depth. And if I, if I could go back now, I would just make it very clear, hey, man, I love you. I'm here for you. And if you're having a hard time, you can talk to me. So I encourage you, if you're listening, Make it clear to the people in your life how much you love them. Tell them you love them. Don't be afraid to say that. I tell my best friends that all the time. I made a joke about that the other day. I was wrong. I love my friends. They're the best. And I tell them that every time I see them because they mean a lot to me. And I would hope that if they're having a hard time, they know I'm comfortable with them coming to me and talking to me and sharing their struggles. And I encourage you, tell your friends you love them and that you're there for them. If you're struggling, go get help and make sure you tell your friends if they're struggling, they can come talk to you. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about Oklahoma football, and we'll do Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, I have my mystery drink right here. I love it. I'm not telling anybody what it is until they sponsor me. I am in love with this product. I want to talk about what it is. I want to share with the world but this company has not yet accepted my sponsorship. I really, I re I'm telling you, man, I love it. I drink it in every situation possible with my friends, whether I, no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing my show, whether I'm working, it's not alcoholic, it's not too sweet, it's perfect for me. I just can't talk about what it is until they sponsor me. I really want that to happen. Uh, I want to shift gears to college football real quick. Last weekend, Kansas State beat Oklahoma 48-41. to and I'll be honest, I did not see that coming at all. I was wrong. And I, I'm not afraid to admit that at all. It doesn't hurt me. Um, I really believed that Oklahoma was going to run the table, especially after they beat Texas. I was like, okay, Texas was their hard game this year. They're going to easily run the table. 
And uh, I'll tell you again, I was wrong. Now, I will acknowledge that Oklahoma's quarterback, Jalen Hurts, uh, had a pretty great day statistically. He was 19 for 26 passing, had 395 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. He also ran 19 times for 96 yards and another three touchdowns. Jalen Hurts was not the problem for Oklahoma. I watched the game. I recorded it. I watched it twice because I'm a nerd and I'm weird. And what else do you do when you're tired and need a break from moving? Um, The most unfortunate play in this game was actually a trick play for Oklahoma where they had receiver Nick Basquin throw a pass. The ball got tipped in the air and intercepted. I felt pretty bad for them. And then a couple, a little while later, on a kick return, Oklahoma fumbled. That gave K-State the ball and gave them an opportunity to go up 41 to 23. Later, they would lead 48 to 23. K-State was in control of this game for a long time. And, you know, it, it's funny because I was just was praising Oklahoma's defense the other day. I was talking about how I love Alex Grinch, and I still really do like Oklahoma's defensive coordinator. I was around him when he was at Washington State. But, man, Oklahoma's defense is to blame for this loss. They cost them the game. Uh, OU's offense wasn't perfect. They had a couple third downs. They didn't convert later in the game. That You, were, you really would have wished they had converted. That allowed K-State to get a bigger lead on them. But the truth is that when Oklahoma needed their defense, they were unable to deliver. K-State ran the ball 45 times for 213 yards. And get this, six touchdowns. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I have to acknowledge, again, I was wrong about Oklahoma. It's possible they missed the college football playoff entirely. Uh, I thought they would easily go undefeated after beating Texas, and uh, I just was wrong. Credit K-State. They had a great game. They took advantage of opportunities that were given to them. Uh, they're now 5-2, and two, and the cool part of this whole story is that Chris Kleiman, the head coach of K-State, is the former North Dakota State head coach. He's a guy who won four national championships in five years at North Dakota State. He left for the bigger job at Kansas State, and in his first year at K-State, things are going really, really well. He's doing good. And he's making it happen. He's 5-2, and two, had a giant win last weekend over Oklahoma. I'm so happy for Chris Kleiman and their, their program at K-State. They seem like they're really building something, and I'm, just, I'm encouraged and happy for them. And uh, I just got to say one more time, I was wrong about Oklahoma. All right, uh, it's time for Ask Zach. This is the segment uh, that I do to end every single one of my podcasts. People who support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It's a dollar a month. You can give more if you want it. Please do it. Actually, if you give more than a dollar, it really helps me. It pays my bills literally. Uh, and, and I don't want to be very clear. I only accept questions on Patreon, patreon.com. You can send me a DM. You can comment on a post on Patreon. And I will not guarantee to read your question on the show. If you give me a dollar a month, I do not guarantee to read your question, but I do guarantee to look at your question with my eyeballs. So look at every single question with my eyeballs And then I pick the top couple at the end of every show and discuss them in this topic called Ask Zach. We have a ton. Uh, I felt bad. Last week, I didn't do enough Ask Zach questions. So this week, man, I dug into the bag. We have a ton, a ton of questions to discuss. I'm really excited. The first question is from Cedric. He writes in and says, hi, Zach. I'd love to hear your opinion on Julian Edelman. Do you think he's overrated or underrated? Maybe even a Hall of Famer. As a Patriots fan, I'm a bit biased when it comes to Jules, but I would love to hear what you think of him. When talking to various experts, YouTubers, friends, I've heard a lot of them say Edelman is overrated and would be nothing without the Patriots system. But on the other hand, many think that he would be great in other situations too. Best regards from Germany. I love to listen to your podcast every morning on my way to work. Keep up the great work and please excuse any grammar or spelling errors. Cedric, you had none. You did great. Good job. Um, Julian Edelman, he's not a Hall of Famer in my opinion. Uh, he could maybe go in the Patriots ring of honor or whatever they do. Uh, the only way he becomes a Hall of Famer is if he plays till he's like 47 or something just insane and just racks up the numbers for years. Um, he's very, very good. Uh, I think saying he'd be nothing without the Patriots would be very silly. Julian Edelman is a good football player. Uh, don't discredit the guy. He was a quarterback in college at Kent State. He was a seventh round draft pick. And he made himself into a great receiver. He did the work. You know how hard it is to transition from quarterback to receiver? He did the work. He made that happen, especially doing that in New England. That's a really hard place to succeed because they just, hey, if you're not getting it, they move on from you very quickly. So he became a great receiver. Is he a Hall of Famer? No. 
Um, but he's got a had he's had a really good career that deserves a lot of respect. Here's why I don't think that he's a Hall of Fame receiver. As if I, I don't think I need to explain, but I will. Uh, look, he's he's won Super Bowls. He's been great in big moments. He's had some really key catches. But if you look at the all-time stats at receiver, uh, he's 197th all-time for receiving yards. That's nowhere near anybody else in the Hall of Fame. He's not even on the list for all-time in the top 200 for all-time touchdown catches or touchdown yeah touchdown catches. Demarius Thomas has a way, way, way better argument to become a Hall of Famer. And Demarius Thomas isn't even in the conversation for Hall of Fame. So the fact that Demarius Thomas's statistics vastly overshadow Julian Edelman's, the fact that we even have to have this conversation about Julian Edelman is pretty silly. Um, you know, Larry Fitzgerald is a Hall of Famer because he listen to this. He's number six all time in receiving touchdowns. He's number two all-time in receiving yards. He's number two all-time for catches. And he's never had really ever consistent quarterback play. He, for a couple of years, had Carson Palmer. That's it. Number one on the list, Jerry Rice played with Joe Montana and Steve Young. The fact that, and then a couple other guys in the end of his career, I understand. But Larry Fitzgerald is, without a shadow of a doubt, a Hall of Famer. And my rule with Hall of Fame players is, if you're not sure, the answer is no. If you have to go, are they a Hall of Famer? And you're like, ah, then the answer is just to me, it's just no. If you have to think about it, no. Julian Edelman is not a absolutely for sure Hall of Famer, therefore, easily. He's not a Hall of Famer. Great player. He's had a great career, deserves respect. Julian Edelman is not a Hall of Fame player. The next question comes from Dylan. Dylan writes in, Dylan says this. He says, with the trade deadline passing the other day, are there any trades you would have liked to see hap happen? Getting hiccups. It's terrible. Uh, Dylan, the trade deadline was really disappointing. I'll be honest. Um, first of all, I really wanted to see AJ Green traded out of Cincinnati. I would have liked to see Marcus Mariota moved or some somebody of consequence, maybe Josh Rosen or somebody of consequence moved around. And we just didn't see that. That's disappointing to me. And really the best trade we saw actually at the trade deadline was an injured corner, Akib Dalib, from the LA Rams to the Miami Dolphins. That's not interesting, even in the slightest. He's probably not going to play the rest of the year. Um, I don't know, Trent Williams, a good left tackle from the Redskins, wasn't traded. The best trades of this time of the year were Emmanuel Sanders, Mohamed Sanu, and Jalen Ramsey. They were all trades we got a week ago, not really at the trade deadline. So up to the buzzer, there was no excitement. So I think the trade deadline was kind of boring this year in the NFL. I was pretty disappointed we didn't see something better. I know Jamal Adams was all mad. How could you have a conversation about trading me? I want to stay here. When you're a bad team, like the Jets are uh, two and six, you have to consider trading anybody you have just because you're a bad team and need to reset. I'm glad the Jets didn't trade away Jamal Adams, but being mad because the Jets took phone calls about trading you, that's a little silly. You should always listen to every every offer people give you. I just think that, I don't know, man. If Jamal Adams wants to be mad, fine. But the Jets, I don't think it did anything wrong. Um, and the fact that that's the narrative we're talking about from the NFL trade deadline shows that it was pretty boring. If the, the if the only tr like real narrative that came out of the NBA NFL trade deadline is that, oh, wow, Jamal Adams wasn't traded and he's mad that he was even in conversations, it's pretty clear, oh, yeah, nothing really interesting happened at the NFL trade deadline. It was kind of sad. Okay, Devin writes in. Devin is a Patriots fan. He says a lot of really nice stuff. Devin, I, I'm not going to read what you said. I just am very grateful for your message. It's very kind. He's very sweet talking about how he likes the show, yada, yada. Devin writes in. He says, Now, as the evil empire terrorizes the AFC behind the power of Darth Belichick, and he's young, not really, apprentice Tom Brady, a war rages in the NFC. The leaders of these rebellions are Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and Jimmy Garoppolo. I get, and then like a question like, and then I guess the way to read that is, the leaders of these rebellions are Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and dot, dot, dot. Jimmy Garoppolo? <laughs> I see three teams that have the ability to defeat the evil empire. What do you make of the power struggle in the AFC currently? Do you think Kyle Shanahan will get his revenge against Belichick and the Patriots or be stopped just short by other Hall of Fame quarterbacks standing in his way. So if you don't remember, Kyle Shanahan was, in fact, the offensive coordinator when the Falcons 
lost to the Patriots. They had a 28-3 lead, then they lost. So Kyle Shannon, the head coach of the 49ers, if he, in fact, played against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, would be getting, hopefully, attempting to get revenge against the Patriots. Um, yeah, so in the NFC, it comes down to these three teams. To me, it's the Saints, the Packers, and the 49ers. I think you're spot on. Um, I do doubt Jimmy Garoppolo. But, however, if Trent Dilfer can win a Super Bowl and a Gimpy Peyton Manning, who's old and can barely throw the ball, if he could win a Super Bowl, then I think Jimmy Garoppolo is capable. Like, Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. So the bar isn't as high as you think. If you have a great team around you and you get hot at the end of the year, Jimmy Garoppolo could win a Super Bowl. I'm pretty sure that he's, he's what, 7-0, 8-0 now? He's 7-0 now. The dude could win a Super Bowl. He's won a lot of games. He could win a Super Bowl. Um, I think the Dark Horse team that deserves to be maybe in the conversation that I'm, I'm not comfortable with this team, but I think they do belong in the conversation as the Minnesota Vikings. They're running the ball really well. They're playing great defense. Kirk Cousins has looked pretty good at the end of the year so far this year, uh, at least in the most recent games is what I meant. In the most recent games so far this year, Kirk has looked pretty good. He started off rough. He's gotten better as the year went on. Um, remember, he's working with a new offensive coordinator, Kevin Stefanski. I doubt Kirk Cousins, not because he's bad. He's not a bad quarterback. He just tends to shrink in big moments when his team needs him the most. So I doubt Kirk Cousins a lot, but the Vikings belong in the Super Bowl conversation, at least to be mentioned. I think the biggest threat, honestly, to the Patriots is the Indianapolis Colts. Nobody, 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 nobody is talking about the Colts, and I can't understand why. Um, They run the ball so well. They have a great head coach. They have a great offensive line. They have a great defense. And Jacoby Brissett is not an elite quarterback. But again, if Joe Flacco can win a Super Bowl, absolutely, Jacoby Brissett could win a Super Bowl. I think they're the biggest threat to beat the Patriots this year, and everybody's completely overlooking them. The other team that's in the conversation with the Vikings is the Chiefs should be mentioned too. It's like the two teams that I don't really believe are going to win the Super Bowl, but are valuable to be in the conversation are the Kansas City Chiefs and again, the Minnesota Vikings. Remember, what it takes to win a Super Bowl, you have to have a good quarterback, a good offensive line, a good defense, and a head coach, or great and great in three areas and okay in one of them. Remember, it's not all equal. You can have a, a better quarterback that carries an okay defense, but if you're bad at any one of those four, you're not going to win a Super Bowl. You have to be average in, in at least one and only one of them, and then great in every all three categories. Does that make sense? It's a sliding scale. But the Patriots are a defensive-led team with a solid quarterback, Whereas the Chiefs are a quarterback-led team with a solid, okay defense, right? But if you have a, a top-end, all four of those positions, quarterback, head coach, defense, and offensive line, all four of those are solid, you have a chance to win a Super Bowl, in my opinion. Uh, the next question, you know what? I'm going to actually skip ahead to a question and come back to one later. There's a question about Jacoby Brissett I want to talk about. Uh, it's from Zach. Zach writes in, Got to open on my phone. Zach writes in and Zach says, Hey, Zach, not a question. Just wanted to admire and hear you talk about Jacoby Brissett and his leadership because I know how much you love seeing leadership from players, especially quarterbacks. And I kind of wanted to hear your own thoughts, hear your thoughts on Brissett's own leadership and how he handled the comeback against the Broncos. Um, to me, when I watch Jacoby Brissett, right, he's not the most elite quarterback. He's not the best. But what Jacoby Brissett has is a special combination with the Indianapolis Colts that make it possible for him to win a Super Bowl. His team loves him. Jacoby Brissett's team, the Colts, the Colts love him and they believe in him. When you believe in your quarterback and you love them and you want to fight for them, that is a magical combination that I believe can win a Super Bowl. And then look, Jacoby Brissett is good enough. Nobody gives him credit. It's been so cool to watch the way the Colts have rallied around him they lost their quarterback, Andrew Luck. Everyone was like, oh, not even, they didn't even skip a beat. They just kept going. Jacoby Brissett has been phenomenal. And I, I just really have enjoyed watching them. He rallies the people around him. He's a fighter. He yells. He's not afraid to be a football player. And I really admire Jacoby Brissett for his grit and the kind of person he is and the way he leads by being just himself. If you've noticed, Jacoby Brissett has not tried to be Andrew Luck in the slightest. He's a guy who studied under Tom Brady. He hasn't tried to be Tom Brady at all. Jacoby Brissett has been entirely himself. He's owned the role. He's like, hey, I am me. I'm playing my way, being myself. I love, love, love 
what Jacoby Brissett is doing in Indianapolis, and nobody seems to be giving him any kind of credit for it. And I just don't understand. The Colts have a great defense, a great head coach, a great offensive line, and a good quarterback who leads and rallies his guys. The Colts deserve more attention in the Super Bowl conversation, absolutely, in my opinion. Okay, Devin writes in. <sighs> Devin says, my name is Devin. I've been listening to your show since, nope, that's a different one. Oh, different Devin. Wow, we have two. Devin says, hey, Zach, I love listening to the show while I do my college work. As a Chargers fan, the people don't talk. As a Chargers fan, people don't talk about us enough, so I'd like to hear your perspective on some things. First, do you believe the Chargers have any chance at a Super Bowl winning Winning a Super Bowl within the next few years, despite a staggering amount of injuries they sustain to key players every year. If not, do you believe Rivers will go down as the greatest quarterback to never make it to a Super Bowl, let alone win one? Um, look, sadly to me, Devin, a different Devin, D-E-V-A-N-D-E-V-I, and this is D-E-V-I-N, the Chargers don't have a chance to win a Super Bowl in the next couple of years, in my opinion. Uh, they had a window briefly with Phillip Rivers before he was past his prime where they had this really good roster. They had, you know, Melvin Gordon. I think Der- Derwin James last year, this good roster last year, they really had a be- their best chance, and they blew it. They didn't make it happen. They had that year where, man, they had a great run at the end of the year, and they just couldn't quite make it. Um, it's a good team now. I, I like what the Chargers are doing at their roster. But Phillip Rivers has declined, and he's not good enough anymore. He's just, they got to move on. I think it's time, for, honestly, for the Chargers to move on from Phillip Rivers. Now, the question you asked is, could Philip Rivers be the best quarterback never to win a Super Bowl, let alone make it to one? I know this is an unpopular opinion. I'm okay with that. I just this is my belief and my opinion. I prefer Tony Romo to Philip Rivers. I would rather have Tony Romo as my quarterback than Philip Rivers. I know a lot of people hate Tony Romo. He's this and that, and all kinds of jokes you can make. Um, I don't think anybody appreciates the fact that Tony Romo carried for multiple years, a bad Cowboys team and got them in games. People say, well, he never won big games. He's the reason they were even in the games to begin with. He carried that Cowboys team for a couple of years. Uh, I think that, man, you know, if if Philip Rivers, and he never will, honestly, never will go to a Super Bowl. Philip Rivers, Tony Romo, Carson Palmer is another one where there are quarterbacks who were victims of circumstance. Carson Palmer went to the Bengals. An awful organization. Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold went to the Browns and the Jets. If their careers don't quite get to the heights we want, they went to awful organizations. Talented young guys who went to bad franchises and it didn't work. Phillip Rivers has been with the Chargers who just kind of flounder. They're never quite. It's, I wonder if they're trying. Are they trying to win? Are they trying to get farther? I don't think they are. I think they're happy making money and happy just surviving and being good enough. Um yeah, I don't know. I really don't. Uh, and the Cowboys were bad for years, and Tony Romo carried them. I would take Tony Romo over Phillip Rivers. I know that's controversial. I don't care. Um, but yeah, you know, Rivers, Romo, and Carson Palmer have all been victims of circumstance, and I feel sad for them. Okay, Alex writes in. Alex says, hey, Zach, when do you think would be the right time to later... Well, this is hard. I should have proofread this more. He says, hey, Zach, I was wondering when do you think would be the right time to play rookie quarterbacks Drew Locke, Will Greer, and Ryan Finley, who are all stuck behind quarterbacks who have been performing badly? Uh, look, Ryan Finley is going to be out playing this week for the Bengals, or I guess next week for the Bengals. Uh, hope all goes well. He has a bye week this weekend. And then, in, you know, not, not week nine, but week 10, the Bengals play the Ravens. If he executes the well, here's the thing. Zach Taylor, the Bengals' offensive coordinator, in my opinion, is a creative offensive mind. He's good at creating good matchups. I, I've seen it a little bit this year. I go, okay, that's not terrible. But Andy Dalton didn't appear to learn the system quickly enough. He wasn't mastering it. I wonder if he really had his head down and put his pedal to the metal. I think he was just kind of comfortable being who he was. I'm the franchise quarterback here. I'm not losing my spot. Is it possible that Ryan Finley's hungrier and will push harder and execute better? There's guys open underneath Take him. Stop forcing the ball downfield. Stop overthinking stuff. It's possible Ryan Finley actually does better than Andy Dalton. I could be totally wrong, but if he executes and takes what the defense gives him, Ryan Finley might be better 
than Andy Dalton. He could succeed. Now, Drew Locke with the Broncos, there is no way, no way at all, I would play Drew Locke, the rookie quarterback in Denver. He's not going to play this year, and he should not play this year. Um, Go watch my film analysis of him from college at Missouri. He was a mess. He was not ready to go. He's he's just... He's so far from being able to play in the NFL at an ability from his accuracy is bad. He doesn't understand coverages very well. He's a mess and not at all ready to play. I would not play Drew Locke an ounce of football this year. He needs to sit, sit and learn similar to the way that Patrick Mahomes did in Kansas City under Alex Smith. It's too bad, though, that, you know, Drew Locke is sitting behind Joe Flacco and not a better quarterback. Alex Smith was quality. That's a good guy to learn from. I don't know that Joe Flacco is the guy I would want Drew Locke learning behind. Now, Will Greer in Carolina. Um, Kyle Allen is technically the backup behind Cam, but he's a starter right now in with the Panthers, wherever North Carolina is. I still don't know if North Carolina is, 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 is it North Carolina? I think it's Charlotte, South Carolina. However, I know that Charlotte is like 10 miles from the border of the, the two of them, so I have no idea. I don't know. I keep it in the comments, and they always confuse me because some people, somebody argues it's in North. Somebody argues it's in South. I couldn't tell you. I should, you know what? I'm so sorry. We're going to Google, where the heck is Carolina? Uh, Carolina, where the heck is Charlotte? Charlotte is a city in North Carolina. Wow, look at that, everybody. We figured it out. Here's the point of this. Um, Kyle Allen is not playing bad for the Carolina Panthers. Um, however... The Panthers just lost to the 49ers 51 to 13. Kyle Allen was 19 for 37 passing at 158 yards, no touchdowns, and three interceptions. If there's ever a time this season you're going to take out Kyle Allen, this is the moment right now. It's got to happen now or never. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Will Greer is ever going to play over Kyle Allen this year. And I don't think Cam is going to come back this year either. But I will acknowledge if there's ever a moment that Kyle Allen should be replaced. It's now is the time to do it when public opinion is at its lowest after just getting trounced by the 49ers defense. Now I will acknowledge the 49ers defense is incredible. <laughs> Having a bad performance, admittedly, while it makes Kyle Allen look pretty bad, I was hoping he would have a better showing than he did. I would have been cool if he had 200 yards passing, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He just kind of survived. He didn't survive. He played badly. He had some bad plays. Uh, that's not confidence inspiring to me as a Kyle Allen fan, a guy who I want to see him succeed. So if you're ever going to replace Kyle Allen, I guess is my point. Now would have been the time to do so, and I don't think they're going to do it. So I don't think Will Greer is going to play at all this year unless Kyle Allen gets hurt in Charlotte, North Carolina. Ah, I know where he lives. I know well, where he lives, but I know where the Panthers are. The Panthers are in Charlotte, which is a city in the state of North Carolina, if you've been listening to the show for a while, it's been an ongoing joke where I actually legitimately had no idea where that city was. Okay, Bill writes in. Bill says, and actually first, Aiden had a question about Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm going to answer that on Monday, Aiden. Just tune into the show. Enjoy it. Uh, there's Jimmy Garoppolo stuff coming, I promise. Uh, Bill writes in. Bill says, with all the talk about Tom Brady moving on from the Patriots, do you think he'll pull a Peyton Manning and go to another team? I feel like it's kind of off-brand for him to do something like that. And the circumstances are very different to what Manning was dealing with when he left the Colts. With this being Brady's 20th season, I think the most likely scenario for the Patriots is to shoot for another Super Bowl win and for Brady to retire going out on top. Um, Bill, I, I don't know that Brady's leaving. Here's One of the reasons why this whole narrative came to be is Tom Brady put his house on the market for sale in the New England-Foxborough area. Um, uh, to me, I, I think he put his house in the market because if we're being realistic, every year he's in New England, it's a year-to-year basis, right? Every year at the end of the year, he's going to reevaluate. The Patriots are going to reevaluate. Do we still want Tom Brady? Do you still want to be here? Is he going to retire? Who knows, right? Uh, I don't think that Tom Brady's going to retire. I think what's going on here is Tom Brady's not a normal human being. Right? I just moved. I moved last weekend. It's awful. It's so much paperwork. It is carrying boxes and carrying. It's like the, the things that kill you the most are the little stuff because you can't really put them in a box. They're just kind of awkward. Carrying cables and cameras because I have a studio at my place and carrying a bed frame and moving is awful. Tom Brady's not a normal person. He has nothing to do with his family moving. He has nothing to do with his house. His wife is the rich one in the family. She's a 
like a, is he a billionaire? She's a millionaire at the very least, very, very wealthy supermodel. She's the bread maker. She's uber, uber rich is what I should have. I should have said uber rich. That's the best way to get around it. I don't, billions or billions, I have no idea. But Giselle Bundeshin has a ton of money. She takes care of all this stuff. In fact, she probably hires someone to take care of all this stuff. Tom Brady is not worried about the house. I think the point is that if Tom Brady ends up leaving, they need to not live there because, or even how they don't want a house in New England if Tom Brady isn't living there. And they're going to have a better time selling it before he gets traded to whatever team or before he leaves to, I don't know, if he goes to Denver, right? The house is immediately worth less because they're trying to get rid of it. Does that make any sense? So I think if they're going to sell it for the most value, it's now we're in real estate crap. It doesn't matter. The point is that I think the house and Brady's playing career are kind of se- like separate a little bit. Um, and, you know, I just, we got to remember that Brady's not a normal guy and he's not a normal football player. Tom Brady's not going to finish his career on top. He doesn't want to do that, I don't think. My sense is Tom Brady wants to play until he physically cannot play. If that happens and he, they coincide where he wins on top and he realizes that that same game, that same moment, yeah, my body can't do this anymore, fair enough. He's been missing practice more and more. But I think what's most likely going to happen is that Tom Brady has to go to another team to get playing time. The question is, Jared Stidham next? You know, the Patriots drafted Jarrett Stidham in the NFL draft last year. He looked good in the preseason. They seemed to like him. They made him their backup. They got rid of Brian Hoyer to make him their backup. And, you know, Jarrett Stidham gets a lot of reps in practice because Tom Brady is taking more and more time off from practice. So I, I don't know whether Jarrett Stidham is the next guy. He could be, though. He really, he definitely could be. And that's, I don't say that very often about Patriots backup quarterbacks. A lot of the time, I don't believe in them. Uh, but, you know, Peyton Manning left the Colts. Joe Montana left the 49ers. Tom Brady will have to leave the Patriots. It's inevitable to me. I believe it's going to happen. I just don't know when. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, I have more questions from Ask Zach. I just have to blow my nose, and I can't keep doing this. So my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to blow my nose. I'll be right back with more questions from Ask Zach. All right, we are back. Uh, If you're not familiar, we're in the middle of Ask Zach, which is where I answer questions from Patreon. They give a dollar a month on Patreon. You get to submit questions. I read them on the show. I do that. You know, if you're this far on the episode, I'm honestly guessing that you already know how Ask Zach works. If you have no idea, go to Patreon. There's a video about it. You can figure out how it works. Um, I want to start with a question from Alone. It's it's one that made me actually, you know, I had to think a lot less than I thought I would because I was like, you know, I'm happy. I like my life. Um, Alone wrote in and said, Zach, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? Um, And, you know, first of all, I said, well, I'd buy a house. I would buy a 2015 Toyota 4Runner, and then I'd build an incredible studio, and I would make strong opinion sports because I love what I do. I have the best job in the world. I don't want to – this is what I want to do. It would be nice to have more money in the bank. It would be nice to have a house I lived in. It would be nice to have a car that wasn't at 300,000 miles about to break down and die. Um, But – like, yeah, I, I don't have a lot. I, want, I love my path I'm on. I love my life. And so um, for the most part, I would just keep doing what I'm doing. Now, I did get creative uh, to answer this. I realized, you know, about like a, a lot longer than I'm willing and proud of admitting. <laughs> like like 30 minutes later, I was like, oh, yeah, I could give some of the money to charity. Although I will be honest, like a million dollars is not $10 million. Give away some of that money because $10 million and million, there's a gigantic difference. But if you give away $200 million of a million or $200,000 out of a million, you gave away like uh, two, ten, you know, a fifth of the money you have. If you give away 200000 of $10 million, that's a lot smaller percentage of the money. So like if I donated money out of the million to be like ten grand, maybe twenty grand to some charity, probably suicide prevention because I have a heart for that. Um, but mostly if I had a million dollars today, I would just do what I'm doing now. And save the rest of it. You know, one thing I did think of at the end of that, you know, I was brainstorming, okay, what would I do with this money if I was given a million dollars? I probably would eventually start a pizza, like, making restaurant, which I know sounds ridiculous and weird, but um, if you have no idea, I am very, very allergic to dairy, and my girlfriend is very, very celiac. She's allergic to gluten. So the two of us going to dinner is, like, a terrible nightmare because... 
I can't have dairy. She can't have gluten. We've been best friends for five years. We used to hang out. We used her and I used to go get pizza together before we knew we had these problems. So now we can't go to pizza. I miss getting pizza with my girlfriend. So I would start a, I honestly would probably start a pizza company, like a pizza restaurant in Portland. I'd hire, I wouldn't do it. Like I'd be a silent owner. I wouldn't do anything to run it. I would just start a, I'd be a silent owner in a pizza restaurant in Portland, Oregon. And I would say, look, I want to call it Shelby's Pizza, where I can go have pizza with my girlfriend and have dairy-free, gluten-free pizza, and it'd be not a problem because it's such a... You can find, like, dairy-free pizza, and you can find gluten-free pizza. It's so rare to find both at the same time. It's, like, impossible. Even in Portland, which is, like, the most friendly city in the world for people who don't like dairy and, you know, for who... I, I, like, my throat gets really bad if I have dairy and who are allergic to gluten, and there's still not a single pizzeria... That's both gluten-free and dairy-free in Portland. If I had the money, I would solve that problem. I'd hire someone really good. I know exactly who I would hire. She used to have a pizza restaurant. She's friends with my dad. I'd say, look, run the restaurant, make the pizza. I just, I, I don't even care. I just want a place to go to take my girlfriend and have pizza. I miss, the, I miss that experience. That's what I would do if I had a million dollars. Buy a house, like a small, modest, like a, I think a four-bedroom house maybe. I know it's not small, but it's like, that's not, I'm not buying a mansion with a million dollars. I'd buy a normal house. I would get a 2015 a used Toyota uh, Toyota 4Runner because that's like my dream car. I'd buy used Toyotas because like why, why waste money on a new car? I'm cheap, man. I just don't, I just don't spend money no matter what. Um, and if I had a million dollars, I wouldn't change. I'd go to Ross and buy clothes and I would save most of my money and that's what I would do. Fun. I, I probably wouldn't wait too long on that question, but it was fun for me to answer. I was like, oh, I was excited to answer that one. That one got me excited. Uh, Tyler writes in, Tyler says, hi, Zach. I just wanted to know what you think of Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen. He has all the arm talent in the world and is a real rushing threat, but I want to know what you see in his game film that is causing him to be mediocre. Also with the Bills' awesome defense that's ready to win now. Do you think the Bills might look elsewhere if he doesn't improve by next se- next se- season? That's hard. Next season. Oof. Um, first of all, by the way, I give every young quarterback until year three. Year three is when you raise the expectations. You know, we're in the middle of Mitchell Trubisky's third year, and Mitchell Trubisky is just, man, he is not getting the job done. He is, I can't even come up with a, it's, he's just bad. I, I, don't, I can't say what I want to say without saying bad words that I try not to say on my show. Uh, he just looks awful. He's not getting the job done. It's year three, and he's vastly overshadowed by Deshaun Watson and by the court, Patrick Mahomes. Now, Josh Allen's only in year two. All these young quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Baker, Lamar Jackson, Josh Rosen, Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones, give them until year three. Next year, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, start raising the expectation and expecting a little more from them. Sam Darnold looks like a lost puppy at times this year. He's learning a new offense. He's a mess. He doesn't look ready. He's seeing ghosts. And Baker has looked like a mess so far this year. So my analysis and my opinion is give a guy till year three. Now, what does Josh Allen do? He has a huge arm and he relies on it way too much. He makes boneheaded, reckless interception throws. He's just reckless as a runner sometimes. He's kind of a mess, kind of a disaster. But you see moments where you go, oh, Josh Allen can play. And then you see moments where, oh, Josh Allen has no idea what he's doing. That's any young quarterback. That's Sam Darnold. That's Josh Allen. That's Baker Mayfield. Uh, Year three is when you start calling whether or not a young quarterback is going to fail or whether he is failing. We're mid-year three of Mitchell Trubisky. I can tell you now, Mitch ain't cutting it. But middle next year is when we'll start learning, okay, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, are they coming along or not? I'm giving it till year three. However, I also want to say I am doing a film analysis of Josh Allen at the end of this year to evaluate how did year two go with Josh Allen. I promise you that. Uh, I've gotten a better system down. I'm going to do a whole bunch of film analysis this offseason. I'm so excited. So, Tyler, expect a Josh Allen film analysis at the end of this year, I promise you. Uh, and I'm excited. Seb writes in. Seb says, hey, Zach, do you think we're starting to see the beginning of the end of the running back position? As NFL offenses become more pass-heavy, top running backs don't seem as valuable as they once were and can easily be replaced by understudies, such as Austin Eckler showed up while Melvin Gordon was holding out. Will running backs eventually become an extinct position 
in the NFL, a bit like fullback, as we see more pass-friendly teams or more and more mobile quarterbacks who are able to run just as effectively like Lamar Jackson. Uh, look, running backs are not going away for good. You need them in the passing game. You need them to help uh, with run blocks. You need all kinds of stuff. Um, but running backs, so running backs to me still matter, but they matter less than before. Teams aren't built around running backs the way they used to. Running backs are far more interchangeable. And gone are the days where you build a round a running back like Emmett Smith or LaDainian Tomlinson or Sean Alexander. You build around a quarterback now. It used to be find your franchise running back, pay them a lot of money, build a team around your running back. Well, the NFL has changed. Now you pay your quarterback. Now you build around your quarterback. Running backs are a secondary afterthought. You still want a good running back. Everybody wants a good running back. But the career, their careers are shorter than ever, and you don't build around them. Running backs are still valuable. They still matter. The position will never go away completely because they, they're still very well used. With We need to run the ball. It's important to run the ball well. And they also are great in the passing game. Even Mike Leach. Mike Leach at Washington State loves their running backs because they get a ton of yards throwing with running backs. Running backs will never go away, but they're far less valuable than they used to be. We don't build around them the way we used to. We build around quarterbacks now instead of running backs. Okay, this question comes from Caleb. Caleb writes in. Caleb says, where is it? Oh, man, I hope I have it written down. If I don't, I'm going to be very sad. I don't think I have it written down because I'm a failure. No, 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 nope. Okay, we got to find it in the Patreon app. It's a good question, though. I really am excited. It's about Penn State. Uh, where is Patreon? Oh, my gosh. I rearranged my phone, and it's just impossible. It's an impossible nightmare mess. I don't have a printer yet because it just moved, so I can't even print out the questions like I used to. Go to posts, ask Zach. Sunday, 31 comments because you guys are the best. Okay, Caleb, Cedric, Billy, or Bill, Bill by Aiden. Aiden, hello. Zach, Byron, uh, Devin. Tyler. See, I do read all these. Seb, Miles, Caleb. Caleb, here we go. Finally found it. Caleb, my man. He's one of the biggest supporters. I love him. Caleb writes in and says, Hey, Zach. Glad you got to move in recently. Uh, my question is about the Penn State Nittany Lions. For about a decade, the Ohio State Buckeyes are the, have been the top team in the Big Ten. Multiple titles, and they rarely slip up in conference play. But I'm curious if Penn State could be the team that knocks them out of contention for not only the Big Ten, but also the playoffs. I feel like they are under the radar, despite being number five in the AP poll, because OSU is as big a juggernaut. juggernaut. Can Penn State win against Ohio State? Uh, look, I think, yeah, the, the biggest threat to Penn State, the, excuse me, the biggest threat to Ohio State the rest of this year is Penn State. You know, Penn State's 8-0, they're undefeated. Uh, they're a very good football team. They've won some tough games. They beat Michigan. They beat Michigan State. They beat Iowa. Here's what concerns me, though. It's the margin of victory. Penn State is a very, very good football team. They win together. They're a great group of guys. They play physical football. And they come together at the end of games. They really have won some big games in, in tight, close, contested battles. But they're not as talented as Ohio State. Penn State is not as talented as Ohio State. Ohio State hasn't been in a close game all year. And you can credit the schedule, credit whatever you want. But to me, Ohio State is simply far more talented than Penn State. But, however, you can bet I will be watching November 23rd, Penn State at Ohio State. It's going to be fun. I hope it's a good game. There's a chance that Ohio State ends up winning by like 30 points and it's a total blowout. But if Penn State has things fall their way and then can capitalize on the opportunities they're given when they're given those opportunities, if they can capitalize on those big moments, Penn State has a chance to give Ohio State a run for their money. But you also got to understand the game is in Columbus, Ohio. It's hard to go to Ohio State. And when this is Penn State at Ohio State, that's a really hard game to win. I think Penn State is a very good football team. Very good. They're number eight in the country right now. Good for them. Uh, I think they lose this game to Ohio State. I think they're a great team that has a very good bowl victory. They're probably not a playoff team. They're like right on the edge. If there was an expanded playoff this year, I think Penn State would get in. I think they're really close to being that good. But the, the difference between Penn State and 
Ohio State, I think it's going to be like 34 to 21. I think Penn State wins, or Ohio State, I think, I think Ohio State beats Penn State by like two touchdowns. Not a blowout, but a, a game where they're pulling away a little bit at the end. That's what I think happens in the Penn State-Ohio State game. I think, I think Ohio State is simply more talented and has more depth and is going to win that game by about two touchdowns. Okay, my last question is from Billy. Billy writes in, had a really cool question. Billy writes in and says, Hey, Zach, new Patreon and longtime fan. Love the show and really appreciate the message about mental health. I lost a childhood best friend to depression and a drug overdose, drug overdose, and I've been the, have the utmost respect for how open you've been on the show. Now to football. I'm a long-suffering Vikings fan and have a theory about our quarterback situation that I think you'll find interesting. Dot, dot, dot. Pause for effect. <gasps> Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen to the Minnesota Vikings. Give the Dolphins whatever picks they want and give that man a chance. Sit him behind Kirk Cousins for the last $28 million we owe him and allow Rosen to learn how to be on a real NFL team. He'll still be on his rookie deal with the option to tag him if he still needs another year to prove his worth. We'll see how the Vikings do the rest of the year, but they cannot afford to extend Cousins even if he manages a playoff run. Too many malice defeat, and I would give Rosen the promising future and this would give Rosen the promising future we saw going into the 2017 draft. Overall question, how do you think the Vikes should handle the Cousins contract going forward? Rosen with the good and purple. Thank you for reading and keep hustling. Big hustle. Billy. Uh, I love this idea. Trading Josh Rosen to the Minnesota Vikings. It'd be phenomenal. I, I would think, right? Like He would get a year to sit, a year to learn. He'd be on a good team. Finally. Finally, Josh Rosen has been cursed with awful franchises. Well, I'm not, the Cardinals aren't even an awful franchise, but with awful rosters and bad coaching situations, the coaches that aren't good for him. Finally, if Josh Rosen went to the Vikings, I think he'd be in a better scenario. And for the first time in his career, a scenario where he could succeed. Uh, I mean, I think trading for Rosen could be cheap. I don't think the Dolphins really want him. Uh, they're just looking for draft picks. They would definitely, uh, to me, I think the Dolphins want to draft Tua. That's what they're trying to do. They're, they're trying to get a new quarterback in the draft. I don't think they want Rosen. And the Vikings also have an advantage that other teams won't. The Vikings are an NFC team. The Dolphins are an AFC team. The Chargers need a quarterback. AFC. The Patriots need a young quarterback. They're in the same division as the, as the Dolphins. There's no way the Dolphins are trading Josh Rosen to the Patriots. So I wonder where Josh Rosen will end up. Would, would Josh Rosen go to the Vikings... Dude, that'd be incredible. It'd be great because they need a cheaper quarterback because they're going to have to pay other guys on their team. However, how would Kirk handle that? Kirk would hate that, I would think. However, it's not like he's losing his job. You know, Kirk Cousins is not going to lose his job in one day to Josh Rosen. Kirk just has to keep playing well and earn his job every day. So it's possible that works. I would, If I'm the Vikings, I'd never thought of this until this question from Billy. I love Love this solution to the quarterback, what I think is a quarterback problem in Minnesota, where you have a guy who's very average, being played, being paid more than I would pay him, who is not elite and doesn't come through in big time moments. Uh, I I like Kirk. I've always loved Kirk. I loved Kirk a lot in college. He's a good leader. He's voted a captain. He's a walk on at Michigan State. Um, but I think he's a bit overpaid. And again, Kirk doesn't deliver in big-time moments. I love this scenario. Now, where would Rosen end up? Would Rosen end up in San Diego? Probably not Chicago because they're, you know, Mitchell Trubisky is still there. I don't think that's going to happen. He can't really move. I think Matt Nagy's better suited to have a quarterback who can run around and move a little bit. Uh, I don't think Josh Rosen goes to Denver because they had a chance to trade for him. They didn't. I don't know. I have no idea where Josh Rosen goes, but Minnesota would be an awesome, awesome solution to that question, where does Josh Rosen go? I have one more question. Uh, let's see if I can find it. It's a good one. I really liked it. -da 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 -da. Okay, it's from Adam. It's how Adam became a Falcons fan. Adam says, hi, Zach. I hope you're doing well. I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan that was born and raised in Philadelphia and thought it might be interesting to share how I became one while living in a city with an NFL franchise. My family, other than my brother, was never into sports, so I was lucky to have had the freedom to pick and choose my very own favorite teams. Me and my brother one day were playing 2K football. Oh my gosh, 2K. Did that game 
2K NFL, like 20, 2K8 NFL football was incredible. That game was awesome. 2K football was awesome. I think it was 2K8. I can't remember for sure, but I think that's what it was. Anyways, <laughs> me and my brother one day were playing 2K football, and he wanted someone to play and discuss trades and whatnot with. By the way, he's a Steelers fan. And I asked him which team I should choose. He was very unhelpful in picking a team, though. So I chose my team based on my favorite colors, black and red. And the Falcons logo happened to be very appealing to me also. I was also <laughs> six years old, by the way. And all these years later, I'm still a fan of the Falcons. Thank you for making your awesome content. That is how Adam became a Falcons fan. He did it because he liked the logo of the Falcons when he was six. And he liked the red and black colors. Hey, like whatever hell. It got started when he was a kid. That's really cool. That's awesome. 2K football is great. Adam, thank you for your, your story. Please write in with stories how you became a fan of your own team. I don't care whether you're what, what fan, team you're a fan of. I just want to hear how you became a fan of your team, whether it's basketball, baseball, hockey. I don't care. Write in with your stories of how you became a fan of your team. I love hearing them. They interest me and they excite me. Um, guys, that's all I have for today. Thank you so very much. I appreciate it. Um, I want to end this show with my favorite song in the world. It pumps me up. It gets me excited. I love it. This is Almost Blonde and their single, Wasted Time. Have a great day and enjoy. The person that you aspired to be Well he packed up his bags And he's ready to leave He's on the brink It's time to think of what you want to achieve Cause there's a different path For the life you need If it was easy Everybody would have followed your lead And you will get no respect Until you start to succeed And people still are gonna cut you Just to watch you bleed Take it from the old man Who used to walk in your feet Well, throw your soul into time.